Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Last Sunday we heard Jesus tell a parable, the parable of the unrighteous judge. You remember how that one went? The judge, by his own admission, neither feared God nor respected man. But he finally gives in to this persistent widow because she just keeps nagging him again and again and again and again. And finally, he's just like, I'll just give her justice so that she'll leave me alone. And Jesus contrasts this, the unrighteous judge, with our loving father, who gladly hears our prayers and answers our prayers. And today we hear another parable from Jesus. One uh, one, of, one of the really wonderful things about Luke is he, he gives us so many of the parables. In fact, uh, without Luke's gospel, we would be missing a, a large number of the parables of Jesus that we know and love. It's a good thing that Dr. Luke decided he needed to put together this account of the life and the works of Jesus for his friend Theophilus so that he could be sure of who this Jesus is, because we get the benefit of that. Well, last week's parable, Jesus, or Luke introduced the words of Jesus with this introduction. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And again, this week, Luke does the same thing. So you don't have to figure out what the parable's about, right? Luke tells you right off the bat. Here's why Jesus tells this parable. He told this he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, let's hear that familiar parable very briefly once again. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, let's start with the Pharisee. In our day and age, we hear Pharisee, and it carries with it kind of a negative connotation, doesn't it? Don't be a Pharisee. And we we hear that as something bad. Well, that's not how it would have been heard in the original context. In the original context, it would have been heard with a very positive connotation. The Pharisees were serious about religious life. They were held up as the standard for religious living. Uh, Maybe a like comparison in our day and age might be someone who is extremely devoted to their church. They serve on church council. They don't use foul language. They appear to be kind to everyone. And from all appearances, this kind of person is the very example of what it means to be godly. However, just beneath the veneer of this supposed holiness lies the darkness of sin. Now, it was a tradition to begin prayer giving thanks to God. And so they do. 
Well, he does, right? He, he starts off thanking God. Well, kind of, sort of, not, not really. I mean, he's more kind of bragging to God, isn't he? God, I thank you. What do you thank him for? Oh, that I'm not like those bad people. That I'm not like the extortioners and the unjust and the adulterers. I thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy over there. Man, can you imagine that? That guy's awful. His prayer is pretty awful, isn't it? God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And all God's people said, yikes. <laughs> Oof. This isn't thanksgiving to God. This is boasting before the Lord. This supposedly godly man shows that he is, in fact, ungodly and wicked. Even though his actions might look pretty good from the outside, even though other people might look at him and say, well, there goes a godly man. God knows better. Remember last week, the unrighteous judge declared that he, well, he neither feared God nor respected man. <laughs> Here's the Pharisee, and the same could be said of him, couldn't it? He doesn't come in humility. He doesn't come in repentance. He comes to God in pride and arrogance. He's not like Isaiah who finds himself in the presence of God and all he could say is, woe is me, recognizing his sin, his need for forgiveness. Rather, this Pharisee rattles off his supposed accomplishments. The Pharisee here sins against the first table of the law. You remember how the, the Ten Commandments are kind of divided up. Commandments 1 through 3 is the first table of the law, summarized by you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Well, then he rattles off all kinds of sin against the second table of the law, too. Commandments 4 through 10, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Luther, in a sermon on this text, takes note of how this Pharisee prays concerning his neighbor. Listen to this. This is just, this is fantastic. There is not even a trace of Christian love or faithfulness showing that he seeks and wishes his neighbor's honor and happiness. Rather, he simply goes ahead and completely tramples him underfoot with his shameful contempt. He does not even regard him as a human being. Yes, when he should help and rescue his neighbor so that no wrong or injustice is done to him, he himself wrongs him most. When he sees and knows his neighbor sins against God, he does not think how he can convert and rescue him from God's wrath and damnation so that he may improve. He has no pity or sympathy in his heart about a poor sinner's distress and misery, but thinks that it serves him right to remain in damnation and destruction. He, de he deprives him of all duty of love and service he owes him which God has commanded him, especially with teaching, admonishing, rebuking, correcting, etc., to bring his neighbor out of sin and damnation into God's kingdom. Yes, the worst is that he is happy and cheerful that his neighbor is in sin and under God's wrath. Ouch. And yet... How many times have we looked at the messed up world around us and we say, 
I'm sure glad I'm not like them. When instead we ought to have stopped and prayed for them. Now, on the other hand, we have the tax collector. In our day and age, we might not like the IRS, <laughs> but they're not quite the same as the tax collectors in this time and place. The tax collectors in this time and place, they colluded with the Romans, with the enemy, with those who had come as captors. They worked against their own people. See, the Romans would come in, they would hire people from the local community who knew everybody, were related to everybody, and knew how much they made, and then they could use their knowledge to twist the knife and really get every last bit out of them. And in the process, the tax collectors used their position with uh, colluding with the Romans to, to well, <coughs> make themselves very financially well off taking advantage of others. So when people listening to, her, listening to Jesus heard tax collector, the connotations would be quite negative. Turncoat, lowlife, scum. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He knew his sin. He knew full well how wicked he had been. He was ashamed of his sin, and he wanted to change his ways. So he prays, God, be merciful to me. He doesn't say, I've tried my best. He doesn't say, God, be merciful to me, and I'll show that I deserve it. What does he say? Be merciful to me, a sinner. Two men, one who appears godly and the other who appears wicked, but one has a repentant heart. The other has a wicked heart. I tell you, this man went down from his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Ultimately, what this parable is about is, is how do you draw near to God? Are you able to, to, to come near to God, to come into his presence because of how good you have been, because of how well you have kept the law? Or do you come unworthy? Do you come as a sinner? Do you come as a, as a little child who, who brings nothing to the table but only is dependent upon the Lord? In my first call in southeast Missouri, I, I served in an area where there was there were tons of holiness churches and Baptist churches, and the law was heavily preached. <clears throat> and so people cons who considered themselves to be Christians in the area would either have this sense that I am better than others because look how well I'm living the Christian life, or <laughs> they would be feeling just utter distress because they realized how poorly they had been living the Christian life. They had been falling short. And the result of this was that a lot of people end up wanting nothing to do with Christianity because they think that Christianity is all about teaching you how you can learn to become better and better and better. And, if you, and you have to keep the law so well that eventually God will say, good, good, good. You've done well enough. You've earned your place. And so... 
many would come to church and they would put on a, 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 a you know, kind of a, a front. They would put on this front of, of holiness. Well, how has your week been? Oh, I've, I've been doing great. I've been really living for the Lord this week. Oh, have you? <laughs> there was no place to come and say, oh, I've, I've really been struggling. Because if you've really been struggling, maybe you're not even a Christian. What was missing was the gospel. They didn't have an opportunity to come into church as desperate sinners and to confess their sins. What those desperate sinners needed, what desperate sinners like you and I need, is the gospel. We need to hear and know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We need to understand that God's call isn't for us to justify ourselves before him, but to come in humility, to come in repentance, to come and confess. I've sinned in thought, word, and deed by what I've done, by what I haven't done. I haven't loved my neighbor as I should have. I haven't loved God as I should have. I certainly haven't been faithful as I should have. I deserve God's punishment. But for the sake of Jesus, have mercy on me. See, this is what the tax collector was saying when he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's saying, I don't measure up, and I know it. All I can ask for is the mercy from God. And having confessed our sins this morning, what did you then hear? Well, you better do better next week. (laughs) What did you hear? For the sake of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are are forgiven. And they are. This is why the doctrine of justification is so utterly important because it reminds us that this is what Christianity is really all about. It's not impressing others with our holiness. It's not putting on a show for God and for everybody else to to put on this false front in which we pretend like we've got it all together. Like we really have been faithful in all things, the whole week. But rather, where we can confess, here's where we have fallen short. But because of Jesus, we're right with God. Our sins are forgiven. We have peace. This is what the Augsburg Confession says. Our churches teach that people cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merits, or works. People are freely justified for Christ's sake, through faith, when they believe that they are received into favor and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. By his death, Christ made satisfaction for our sins. God counts this faith for righteousness in his sight. And so, fellow sinners, we don't need to show up to church with a veneer of holiness. Indeed, we dare not. But together we draw near to God as sinners and we hear from him. For the sake of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.